0: Let's head over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, please. What we need to do is uh, we need to define some words. And that's going to happen in the lesson. But just for our... Uh, our minds more getting moving on an early cold morning. Let's just uh, do a little bit of going back into your schooling and your study and your great skills with the alphabet and spelling and dictionary work. Give me the meaning of this word, doohickey. Is it a gadget, an early morning kiss, uh, a man, uh, man pulled cart in the far east? Which one is it? Yeah, you're so smart. I knew you'd get that one. What's a kerfuffle? A bed covering, a discarded scarf, or a fuss? It's a fuss. You guys are good. Let's do a pollux. Your thumb, the dust or residue from the flakes of your skin, a former friend or lover. Uh oh, we're getting quieter. That wasn't so quick. It's the dust. Is that what you said? You're wrong. So you're down to two. It is your thumb. So it's your thumb. Here we go. Monomic. Keeps tempo for a piece of music. Items used to assist with memory. A man who works on electric vehicles. I I don't remember which one. Yes, I do. It's the memory. It's the memory. Here, what's an earth? A plot of land, a potion made from grass, a weapon used by knights. An earth. You use this in your everyday language. Right? Urf. Take a guess. Number two, number two. A potion made from grass. No. Three. No. Anybody else want to guess? <laughs> there you go. What's a belly wick? A person's area of skill, the wick used in old oil lamps, the pump used to bail out water. Are you sure or are you just guessing? You're sure? You are so ballywick. that yeah, he's he's just got a good ballywick. Uh, Terra riddle, the craft that's taking out a torn paper and you put it all together. A small eye or a mystery. Terra riddle. Three. No. It's the, it is a small lie. Larry, you got that one. That's excellent. What's a no-aid? An act, an execution by drowning. The lymph nodes are located in your lower abdomen. A hearing aid device. Hearing aid. What? Aid. What? <laughs> it is not. I, I do not need a no Okay. Actually, that's not, that's not what it is. You're down to Two. It is to execute by drowning. So we hope that when we do a baptism, we don't do a noyade at the same time. Zorro, a fictional Hispanic hero, a short-eared dog, or an expanse in space. One. Is that it? Actually, it's both. It's both the top two. You guys are good. And then an obelisk. Is it a division sign, an editorial mark in an ancient manuscript, about a questionable text or a symbol for death? Obelus. Two. Yes? Yeah. Anybody else? Symbol. symbol for death. Yes. Anybody else? I'm going for three sounds. Let's do all three. There you go. That's what it is. You are so smart. What's a stylite? The treated glass used for skyscrapers, a style of writing, or a monastic person who sat on a pole. Two. Number two, no. Oh. Number three is right. They called these, the, there was a group, there was an era of time that saints. Quote unquote, to be saintly, I should put it, is you would do monastic type of things. You would go and sit, if you were really spiritual, sit on a pole for a, a hundred days, or sit on a, you know, a high tree, or do something, and people would get your food and stuff through buckets. And the longer you'd stay up there, the more spiritual you would become. So there was that whole thought of just torturing your flesh. Well, we know that's not true. We want to help you to become spiritual, but it's not going to be by sitting on a pole. Okay. We, instead, we have you suffering by sitting on a pew and listening for a long time and answering a whole bunch of questions. And so what we're doing is a variety of questions. The questions we want to get to today is following up the last one we were last week. The idea of evil, why does God allow it to exist? We gave answers and discussion to that. What I want to do is this one, that you should be, if I were you, I would write some of these answers in the flyleaf of the Bible. I have used that That tool multiple times when talking with people, doing Bible studies, having conversations, and having those verses right there on one of those blank pages in the back of my Bible has proved invaluable to be able to point to multiple passages that would answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Now I started off with the silliness of talking about definitions, and the reason I did that is the question, why do bad things happen to good people? We need to define a couple of those terms that we're using. We need to define what we mean by bad. Why do bad things happen? We're not talking about immoral. We're not talking about evil as far as in the sense of, of uh, people doing evil. We're, at, we're talking about experiences that people may have, events, occasions uh, that are trials in their life, uh, difficulties in their life. It could be a loss of job. It could be a loss of hearing. It could be a loss of finances. It could be a loss of a house. It could be a whole variety of things. And so we're talking, when we say bad, we're talking from a human point of view, these are bad things that happen to us. Things that, that we would just assume not happen. They're not immoral, but they're things we don't desire and look forward to and plan for, but they do happen. And so they're... they're um, things we wouldn't typically choose, but they're not morally bad for us as we're going to see in a few moments. When we talk about good people, we have to define that term. Because when we talk about good people, we're talking about everybody. Yes, is everybody good? Yes, no? In fact, what does the Bible teach? There is none good but God. Remember, they, they say Jesus. Yeah, or Jesus made that comment when they said, uh, good master, and he says, there's none good but God. We're talking about that idea that good people in this context of this question, we're talking basically about believers, people who are born again. Though we know that by nature, we're not all good, but by the work and the grace of God, he's helping us to become like Christ. So in the question, why do bad things happen to good people? We're talking about why do trials and troubles come to believers in Jesus Christ? we are trying to do what's right so how do you answer that question how do you answer that why do bad things happen to believers why do we have loved ones that suddenly they get sick and they die why do we have loss of children why do we have real challenges happen to good people so when we're talking about this know, we have to go back and say, is it true or is it just that we're a bad society? Did bad things happen to good people in the Bible? Who? When? Okay, Job. Job was a righteous man and yet a lot of what we would call bad things happened to him. Who else? Joseph. Joseph. Okay. Um, And his, he didn't have any choice in it, did he? Okay, so a lot of bad things happened to Joseph. (laughs) Partly because of his brother's decisions, partly because he was forgotten, partly because people lied about him. Who else in the Bible had bad things happen to him? Daniel. Who were you we saying? Somebody. Daniel. Daniel. in the lion's den. And he deserved it because, okay, and actually he didn't deserve it because he did what was right. Somebody over here, you said? Abel, Abel. Abel Okay, when he offered sacrifice, his brother took his life. Can you think of anybody else? Yes, sir. Jeremiah, when he's preaching the word of God, and the response to the people for his preaching is they throw him in a pit because they don't want to hear his preaching. Hmm. That's a scary thought that you'd be in a pit. Okay, David had some bad things happen when he did right. We're going to be talking about some of that. Okay, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Do you remember this setting? In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing in this passage and he says in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians verse 8, for this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might what? Depart from me. He called it the thorn in the flesh. Okay, And then he says, and God said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee for my, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now in this text, In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us why it happened to him. But what he's relayed to us is he says, I have something in my flesh, and we don't know what it is. But he calls it the thorn in the flesh. But it so disturbed him, distracted him, he prayed multiple times, God take it away. And God says, No. I am not taking it away. And he gives them reasons why he's not taking it away. And so we have lots of situations where bad things happen to really good people. So we know this. We know bad things happen to good people when they are doing bad. What is that? What am we referring to here? What bad might happen to you because you're doing bad? The chastisement of the Lord. Okay, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 was one reason why difficult things might come into our life, hardships might come, is because the Lord loves whom uh, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges. We know that it says that be not deceived, God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. He that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. The positive you sow to the spirit, you reap from the spirit. And so we know that that may happen. Sometimes, and this is one of those, those you know, flyleaf reasons why bad things happen, it could be the correction of the Lord. It could be the chastisement of the Lord. Is that the always case? No. In fact, a lot of the illustrations you just gave, the people had troubles and they, didn't, they weren't doing wrong, they were doing right. So then we have to keep in mind this thought, okay? That all hardships we experience can in some way, indirectly, be traced back to the fall of mankind. Okay, there, it, we, Prior to the fall, if society had stayed that way, there would have been perfect harmony. There wouldn't have been murder. There wouldn't have been the corruption of, of the um, climate where all of a sudden somebody gets flooded or a hurricane or a tornado comes through. In, in a very indirect way, yes, all trials, all tribulations. In fact, because of the fall, what happened to your work? What did work become? Okay, it become really hard, become laborious. And so in that sense, we could say it comes, but here, let's follow this up. Not every, not every hardship that you experience can be, can be said to be a direct result of some personal sin. And this is an important truth, okay? Uh, yes, we know that God may chasten but not every situation, every physical ailment is because of the chastising hand of the Lord. Can you give me a, a passage that might prove this? What's that? The man who was born blind. John chapter 9, what happens is they, the disciples are walking. In John chapter 9, they're in the temple proper area and they see the blind man laying there. And the disciples ask Jesus the, the question that was in Jewish mind, they taught this. <clears throat> they taught that every ailment, every difficulty, every handicap, physical handicap was a result of somebody's sin. Either that person or their parent, okay? And so they taught that. They taught if you had a disabled child, you probably sinned. And so that was punishment. So they they had a very simplistic way of looking at it. And they asked Jesus as they're walking by, who hath sinned, do you remember the rest of it? This man or his parents. And so their thought was that this, this man born blind had to be a result of somebody's direct sin. Jesus' response is, this happened for the glory of God. And he says that, he makes clear, it's neither this man nor his parents, but this is happening for the glory of God. So we have these very important basic thoughts, and I am amazed by as much as we have repeated this over the years, I am still amazed how many folk at times, when they're facing trouble, their mind immediately goes to and says that this is punishment of God. That whatever the difficulty is, <clears throat> immediately it's punishment of God. Now, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe, maybe they know of some secret sin. But, but it, it just seems human nature, we all of a sudden just go, God must be bad at me. And that's not true. That's not true that every trial is because God is upset with us. But we have to add this in. Not every hardship comes from God. Okay, you have that a satanic attack. In fact, Second Corinthians 12. Look at verse 7. He says, Lest I should be exalted above measure, which is a whole other discussion we'll come to in a few moments. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Who's it, who's it come by? The messenger of who? Of Satan. Can Satan bring into our lives physical problems? Yes, and we know the illustration, Job. Again, he is limited by God, but he can do this. Now our question has to be is, why would Satan attack us physically? Why did he attack Job? Why did he attack the Apostle Paul? Why would Satan attack you with trials? Okay, okay. Basically, it's it's he wants to do both or two things. He wants you to turn against God and or get God to turn against you, okay? So he can make accusation if you turn against God. And so Satan is trying to use trials as a form of temptation against you, okay? So we know that that happens. And so sometimes... Satan will, the trial is the source of Satan. My question that follows, how do you know if the trial in your life is from Satan? How do you know? Ken? I would think, and maybe I'll step it out here, but more to the previous point, I think Satan sometimes distracts us from seeing the situation. Better. Okay. Where you're distracting from the glory of God. Okay. Okay. And I and that's all true, that's so true. But how do you know the trial is from Satan? Because even if you get a, even if God is putting, like in Job's case, okay, there was there was that Job was struggling at times. Marcia, you're going to add. Okay. Your, your, your highlight is your last point. Uh, you have to define evil. And what do you mean? Right, right. I mean, it's if it's if it's to tempt us to do evil, it's not of the Lord. It's not of the Lord. My, uh, it's a trick question. Do we? Did Job know? The attacks were from Satan. No. Okay. In Paul's case. Marcia, you referenced Paul's case. It was a messenger sent by Satan. And yet. Watch what he says. Uh, He says in verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure. Was this trial. Did it have a dual purpose. Was Satan trying to discourage. But God was using it for good. Does that ever happen with trials? That what something might be meant as a temptation to evil, God can bring some good out of it? Okay, here's one of those instances like in Job's case. Um, You know, God allowed it to prove Job and Job matures through it. Paul in this case is kept from sin by, as he says, by this very temptation that came from Satan and the bottom line is, there's times we don't know who it's from. We don't know all the design behind it. Job never knew all the design. So the trial might be a dual action. It might be Satan trying to trip us up. It might be God going to use it to build us up. We don't know. The question isn't necessarily who it's from. What is the most important question? What should I do? What should I do is the pivotal question. So, by the way, let's add this, though. Okay? Sometimes bad things happen because of dumb choices by other people. Can you think of situations? You you brought up Daniel just a few moments ago, Monica. You mentioned Daniel. Daniel's, actually, that one's going to fit the next point. Anybody think of a a biblical illustration where somebody got themselves in real trouble, a life-and-death scenario, Okay people several people's lives were uh, in jeopardy because somebody made a da- bad 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 decision. am okay Paul when? Paul on He's on the ship. Acts 27 when Paul is a, suffers the shipwreck. Okay if you remember the shipwreck that they almost lost you know there was concern of loss of life. Do you remember what Paul they were traveling remember what Paul said to the captain and the centurion he said, if you travel at this time of the year, this is hurricane season. I think it's inadvisable for you to be traveling at this time of the year. But somebody wanted to get home, whatever, back to Rome. And so they launch in hurricane season. And as a result, they're shipwrecked. And how many, how many people's lives were in peril you know, who were on that ship? Every single one of them. And so Paul ends up in the ocean And it's a trial and we know it turns out good because we had the end of the story. But it happened not because of anybody's evil, just because of some bad decisions. Does that ever happen in business that people might lose their job because the boss made a bad decision and it affects the entire company? Yes. Is it evil that the boss made the decision? Not necessarily evil, but it can happen. Can, it, can, a, can uh, a car accident happen because of a bad decision? Okay, okay. D- that person didn't say, I'm going to harm somebody, but they just made a poor decision driving. And so those trials can happen that way. Uh, and so sometimes they happen because of dumb choices. I'm going to go a little bit further and add this, and this fits more of what you said. Sometimes bad things happen because of opposition from evil people. We call this today, what's happening in some parts of the world today. Christians are having bad, bad experiences. It's persecution. Now, uh, Monica brought up Daniel's case, which is an excellent illustration. Daniel ends up in the lion's den because he prayed. And the people were envious of him, jealous of him. And so they created this law that was a form of persecution against his faith. And so those are some reasons why bad things happen. Number six, we add this, though. Not all bad things are bad for us. Can you think of a Bible verse that would support that thought? It comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8. Okay. But all things is the beginning. All things work together for good, okay, to them who are called according to the Lord, uh, to the Lord. Um, called to be conformed to him. And so, this is where we need to explore a little bit more. So, you're, you're going to tell somebody, you're going to help them to understand wait a minute, sometimes the bad thing happened. Okay, it wasn't your decision. It could be somebody's against you. It could be, you know, uh, whatever these reasons. And this brings us back to why we need to respond right. Okay, because God may, even like in, in Paul's case, Satan's was the, the messenger from Satan, but God was going to bring some good out of it. What are some of the good that God uses bad situations to do? Let's run through some of these. And again, I, this is flyleaf Bible stuff. Okay, this is really important for when you're dealing with people. God might allow bad things to somehow bring glory to himself. Okay, we've already talked about the man who was born at the gate. We were, they asked that question. When Jesus hears of the news that Lazarus is sick, they have sent the text to him, and they say, Lazarus is sick, you need to come, please come quickly. And and Jesus makes the response, he says, this sickness is not unto death, but to the glory of God. And he makes it very clear to his disciples that this is going to be a glory of God, they didn't understand. And in fact, you and I don't understand. How can God be glorified out of, and name your trial when you're going through it. How is this going to bring glory to God? And so God might be glorified, and he makes that comment there. Let's do a second thought. God allows trials to bring good. The good might be our further growth. Our growth as a Christian. He says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, let patience have a perfect work that you may become mature. You may grow to the fullest, okay? Wanting nothing. And then he adds, If any man lack wisdom in this regard, do what? Let him ask of God. So we have James 1. You have Romans 5. We glory in tribulations knowing that the tribulations works patience. Patience works experience. Experience works hope. Hope makes us not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. So one of the, one of the things, God will get, get glory out of this. One of the reasons that trials may come is so we can grow in our faith. And we add another passage where Jesus, and this is one of those weird, weird verses to me. Uh, strange comments, and yet I fully understand because I know the end of the story, where Jesus says to the disciples, you know, Lazarus is dead. They, they said, if he's sleeping, it's okay. And Jesus says, he's dead. He has already said, this isn't unto death. It's for the glory of God. But then he says, he's dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. And it's like, really? And then he adds this along, that you may believe. Is he talking about you may get saved? No, because he's talking to who? He's talking to the twelve. He's talking to his closest disciples. They're already born again except for Judas. And so he says, I want you to believe to grow in your faith. And so he makes it clear that the idea he wants to bring more fruit into our lives and that pruning, which is not fun, may be for the benefit that you bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. So, God may have trials in your life, troubles in your life, difficulties, bad things, as you and I would call them, so that we grow in our faith. Let's do another thought here. There might be an opportunity to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says while he's in jail, he says, I would have you to understand that these things have happened unto me, that I'm in prison, that I am unable to do ministry, but this has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. That sounds so odd. You would think that he's sitting in jail, therefore he can't go out and preach. But who is he reaching? The next verse talks about it, and I don't have it up here. Do you remember who he's reaching that he never would have reached if he was out on the street preaching? The prison guards. The prison guards, the prison guards and the household of the palace. So now he's getting to reach the people's inside. There's another text that shows up. When Lazarus is dead... And Jesus is standing at the graveside. He makes this prayer to the Father. He says, but because of the people which stand by, I said that they may believe that you have sent me. And so he's praying that. "Okay, Father, hear me answer this, that they may believe. And then after Lazarus comes forth, it says many of the Jews which had seen the things which Jesus did, they believed on him. So you have that situation where God used God used the death of Lazarus and then the resurrection, the, not resurrection, resuscitation of him, to which was bad. The family suffered. They cried. They wept. They went through it. It was a difficult moment. Jesus wept. And yet, the good that's coming out of it is people getting saved. Uh, I think this is the reference to this verse. That sometimes you are challenged. The Mormons run rampant with this verse. They run rampant with First Corinthians, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not? From the Mormon point of view, that what you want to do is to get in, to get, to get a form or a part of salvation, is baptism is critical. It's one of the works that is involved, and so what I can do, according to this verse, is I can get baptized for my previous generations, And so I'm getting baptized for the dead to help them to get a form of salvation. And so they take that in a very literal sense, and they use this concept. And by the way, who has one of the best genealogical records in the entire United States? The Mormon Church, based on this. This is why. Okay, They're doing it out of a spiritual endeavor to try to help their relatives to experience some parts of salvation. I don't think that has anything to do with with this verse at all. Because number one, I can't get saved for somebody else. Okay, we're going to give answer for ourselves. So what is the possibility, other possibility, is, uh, let, let me throw this out. Have any of you here gotten saved because of some relative who passed away, you heard the gospel through the funeral or through the family, and as a result, you came to know Jesus Christ as Savior? Has that happened to any here? Do you know of anybody that that 's happened to? I could put up both hands, okay Some of our church members who aren 't here. this is when they got saved is they got saved at at the funeral which think about it do do some uh, adult kids get saved because of mom 's testimony and they wait until she 's passed yeah, or dad's and so uh, and then and then what what is the typical response? in the Bible, of somebody who gets saved. What do they do? It's in this verse. They get, they get baptized. The typical response in the Bible is once you're saved, you get baptized. And so in this context, he's talking about people who get saved and start following the Lord because of the testimony of somebody who's passed away. I'll give you a biblical illustration. Do you remember the first person, the first person killed in the New Testament, persecuted, stoned to death? Stephen, who was standing by him, holding the garments and watching it. Saul, who later becomes Paul the Apostle. And so later on, God says, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks of conviction. What's he referring to? He saw Stephen die. He heard Stephen's testimony. He was there. He was in charge. That's what it meant by him holding the coats. He's in charge And so he heard and saw the witness of somebody in their last breath giving testimony and it impacted Paul to to a point that later on he ends up coming to know the Lord. So God uses bad things to help. In fact, you might have a bad medical situation. You might end up in the hospital. You will have a mission field that some of us will never have. You might have... You might even go through the situation of, of a death. You may have open ears of relatives and friends that we would never have, but you have now. That you can share the word of God. Your trials, your difficulties sometimes times opens up other doors. Let's go to another thought. Um, God may allow, <laughs> this, is a, this is such a contradiction. God may allow Satan to tempt you so that God can help keep you from sin. Now that sounds totally, totally inane, but that's exactly 2 Corinthians 12. In 2 Corinthians 12, he makes this comment, lest I should be exalted above measure. What's he talking about? Go to the previous verses. In the previous verses, Paul says, I know of a man who died, I think, into the body, out of the body, I don't know. He says that a couple times. But he's basically describing somebody that had an out-of-body experience who went to heaven. And he says, in the spirit, out of the spirit, I don't know. And so there's, there's a cloud here. But under the inspiration of Scripture, he's giving us the idea that this person had an out-of-body experience, saw heaven, things in heaven that were unspeakable, unlawful for him to share at this point. And so he says that he, I can't explain anymore. I'm not allowed to. So I always question people who go around preaching or who create books or movies, who have these out-of-body experiences that they can tell you how they were days and hours and give you all kinds of information about heaven, where under inspiration, Paul says, God wouldn't allow me to do that. He wouldn't allow me to do that. He says, so, uh, but but then he says, not only did I, and I think it's Paul, have that experience, but also to me was given this. He says, um, I would desire to glory. He says, if I do that, I'll be a fool. For I will say, but now I forbear, lest any man should think me above that which he sees in me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through, what? Lest I think I'm really better than anybody else. Why? Because he goes on and says, through the abundance of the revelations. What's he mean by that? Paul had personal direct communication with God. He got, he got more inspired scripture than most anybody else. And he says, lest I should be proud that I had these experiences and I should draw attention to myself. That I should say, hey, I'm the guy who went had an out-of-body experience. Listen to me. If I be the guy that says, hey, I wrote the book of Romans. I wrote Corinthians. I wrote Thessalonians. I wrote that you got to listen to me. I've had tongues and I've spoken in them. You should be listening to me. He says, lest I should become proud of that. There was given unto me a mess a thorn in the flesh given to me a thorn in the flesh the messenger of satan that kept on after me physically it kept on beating me down lest i should be exalted above measure so satan is trying to destroy him or beat him up or tempt him to do, give up on god god is using it as a means of keeping him humble and that's why that phrase goes on. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart. But God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, he says, I will gra- rather glory in the infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul's giving us the experience that this, this thorn in the flesh kept him relying upon the Lord. Kept him humble. And so it was a benefit to him to keep him from sin. Let's do another thought here, okay? That we might be able to minister to other people better. We have Second Corinthians chapter 1, where he says, Blessed be God, the God of all of our comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, so that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble. We know this. You know this as a fact, that those who have experienced the loss of a spouse, they often have a better opportunity to to comfort those who are going through it. Those who have experienced the loss of a child, they understand they usually have a better avenue of ministering to those who are going through that at the moment. Those who are dealing with cancer, all of a sudden those of you who have gone through it, you have a better voice and understanding to minister to them. Those of you who have gone through a difficulty of a rebellious child, you have an avenue and an opportunity to help others who are going through that. That's his point. Those of you who have lost a job, those of you who have lost a house, or those of you who have experienced some of those real ups and downs financially, you are comforted so that you can comfort others. And so you understanding, be able to minister better. Let's do another thought. It helps us to rely more and more upon the Lord. We read, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect. He says, most gladly I will glory that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Trials are to keep us reliant upon the Lord. He writes and he says, when I'm weak, then I'm a strong. Paul, the psalmist wrote, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept your word. It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And so the point is, God may allow difficulties into our lives so that we are keeping relying upon the Lord. Let's do another thought. To correct us is so as to bring about growth in our life. We talked about the correction. But there's another aspect of this that we have to add. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So when God is spanking us through conviction, through uh, a trial or a correction... It isn't because he's mad at us and he's against us. It's to help us at the other end to bring about more fruit. To grow in grace. So that we have more righteousness in our lives. Let's do another thought. No matter why or where the trial comes from. The key to all of this is this next thought. Okay? The key is we respond the same the right way. Whether the trial is from Satan to tempt me, whether the trial is from God to build me, I have to respond the right way, the same way, either way. How do we use that? How do we respond to those trials? Okay, Believers have them. Believers have whatever you want to list here. We're not immune from the trials. We're not immune from, from family members leaving, having nothing to do with you. You're not immune from the idea of having health challenges. Friends of ours, when we were in college and just getting in, starting ministry, there was a fellow who came to the church where we were at in the upper part of Minneapolis, Berean Baptist in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. And we got to know he and his wife, Dave and Suzanne Rogers. Sweet couple. They were just finishing up their, call it, their seminary training. And uh, they became friends. And then uh, right after he ended up uh, graduating from seminary, he went to our home church or within that time period of a year or two. He went to our home church and he worked there on staff. And so our family got to know them even better. Dave and Suzanne had, their oldest daughter was Colleen. Some of you know Colleen Weberg. Do you remember from years ago, Ryan and Colleen were on our staff? Well, we knew her when she was just the firstborn in their family, uh, when we were in college and they were in seminary. Uh, Colleen had a number of siblings, eight or nine of them, Dave and Suzanne had a large family and their last child was a little boy and uh, by this time Dave was a pastor in south central Minnesota and serving the Lord, doing great and the baby was just 2-3 weeks old, somewhere around that frame I I, I have the the exact timing, I'm not sure of, but it was still an infant in the crib and she was doing work, Dave was outside it happened to be his day off, he was out with the other kids playing outside and Suzanne went to check the baby everything had been fine but something on the crib gave way. And so one of the notches or two of the notches gave way and the crib, instead of being flat, it tilted like this. And so what happened is the baby just naturally, in that period of time, just slid down into the corner where there was stuff. By the time she went to check in on the baby, it was too late. The baby had expired. And uh, it, was a, it was a horrible, tragic situation. It's one that nobody wants to go through. And Dave, years later, I remember him speaking at a pastor's conference, and Dave was just sharing how God uses trials in our lives and how we need to keep close to the Lord. Part of his, his um, lesson that he gave on how to walk through the trial are some of the notes I want to give you right now that originated with him. Of what do you do to just keep your sanity? What do you do to just keep on serving the Lord? Because here they were, good people, but a bad thing happened to them. The most horrific thing that we could have possibly imagine, Loss of that child. And so he gave some very practical suggestions on what was helpful to them. Let me share a few of those with you. Okay. So no matter what's your trial, what do we do? How do we respond to it? Okay. What do we do? Well, number one... As Dave was pointing out, don't focus on why me. Stop thinking, why me, why me. Re- instead, say, God, what do you want from me? What can I do for you? Get off of focusing on yourself. Focus on, Lord, what do you want me to do? Not the why me, because the why me makes it sound like you're a victim. And this is this is unfair. Focus on, Lord, What can I do for you? What do we do? Number two, examine yourself to see whether you're walking with the Lord. Okay, Because we know that sometimes things happen because of correction or sometimes just to make us draw closer to the Lord. And if you see something displeasing to the Lord, what's the rest of the statement? If you know of something that's in your life that's displeasing, okay, you you confess it. You make changes. You adjust it. You, you correct what the chastening is to bring about the peaceable fruits of righteousness that Hebrews 12 talks about. He said this: Resist the temptation to get angry or bitter at God or others. Instead, look to instead seek to look for steps that you can take to grow personally. Is it easy? Don't don't respond out loud. Is it easy to get mad at a family member who's died? Could that happen? That you could, in your, if you're dealing with the consequences, you're dealing with everything afterwards, could you, could you find yourself getting, do you think people find themselves getting upset? Like, why didn't you go to the doctor? You had signs. Why didn't you prepare so I wouldn't have to deal with this? Why didn't you help put our house in order? Can you, can you imagine people frustrated? getting getting upset at those moments it happens a lot it happens a lot okay and and understood at times but don't stay there don't stay there getting angry and bitter at god or other people you can't do that if you if you if you give in to bitterness who gets hurt by it you do it'll consume you it'll consume you yeah like dave in his illustration i remember him talking he said there was a part of him he said that at first, wanted to say, "Why didn't you check the baby earlier?" But that was so unrealistic for for him to expect that of his wife. There was no reason. They were just doing everyday normal things. Yeah, it it, it wasn't her fault. And if he had said that to her, what would have what would have resulted? What could he have done to her? Create a false sense of guilt, right? Destroy her. Okay, let's do this. Foster the right spirit of attitude by counting it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. In other words, look for blessings. Look for the blessings. Evaluate what are the blessings out of the situation. Look for them. Continue in the word and prayer even when you don't feel like it at times. I don't know if any of you have had this experience. Have you ever prayed and it felt like heaven was as hard as brass? Like God was as deaf as your kids are sometimes when you're telling them to do something. Have you ever had that experience where you just say, "It doesn't feel like I'm getting anywhere." Am I the only one? Yes, I'm the only one. Oh, okay. What do you do when you don't feel like praying? You pray. You pray. Let me reverse this. You you you're in the middle of a trial. You don't feel like eating. What must you do? You still have to eat. Otherwise, <laughs> you're going to get physically weak. And then what happens to you emotionally? It, it just gets worse until you die. What happens if you say, I don't feel like sleeping? You need to sleep. Or what happens? If you don't get your sleep, even in the midst of... Uh, you 're you're, you're all wound up because of something that 's going on if you don 't sleep for several days what 's going to happen? yeah, get cranky is that's that 's after one hour okay that 's it you 're not going to be able to function you just can 't function if you don 't do the necessities and even if you don 't feel like it, you still need to do the necessities at least a bit. You need to do it same thing spiritually you need to feed your spirit, and rest your spirit in prayer and in the word, even when you don't feel like it. It is so important. It is so vital. Uh, we often talk and joke about like this idea, what meal do you remember last week that was really fantastic, amazing? You probably have something from last, you know, last week. But most of the day, <laughs> yeah, smart sport here. Most of the time, we don't remember our meals. But were those other meals important this past week? Were they beneficial? They didn't knock our socks off, but they were essential. And so the same thing is being in the Word. Resist the temptation to isolate yourself. You know, you don't feel like being around people, okay? Instead, what you need to do is look for people to minister to. Look for others you can minister to. Do you remember Elijah when he is in his depression and wants to die? And he says, it is enough he's sitting under the juniper tree it's it's enough I want to die and God tells him what you need to do after you get out of this cave once they get there and you need to go back and anoint Haziel to be king and then he mentions that's his job go out and minister to people not just focus in on yourself but to focus in on other people is it hard? absolutely but it's essential pray for boldness and look for opportunities to share your faith But for you and me, the pray for boldness is just what they did in the book of Acts and we need to do. Pray for boldness. Help me to share my faith in this situation. Keep on relying upon the Lord. When I am weak, then am I strong. So keep on relying that idea of I'm going to keep on God claiming your promises and trusting. Memorize scripture verses that give promises and comfort. We underestimate the value of scripture memory. We absolutely underestimate it. But the word of God says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Okay. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. We know that scripture is essential and that having it in our mind is so important and yet how often do we memorize? How many verses do we memorize? When you're in the middle of a trial, grab verses, post them you know, above your visor, put them on your phone, put them on the fridge. You know, places that you visit frequent. So the fridge is always good. Put them somewhere so that you keep them rehearsing in your mind. How did Jesus resist in the middle of his temptation? He quoted scripture with the word, he used the word of God. So don't ever underestimate the value of scripture memory. Use Christian music to minister to your heart and to focus. Christian music is an important tool. It helps to focus our minds. Use the music that helps you to focus on, your, on God and His faithfulness. Remind yourself who you are and what you deserve. Okay, now I'm taking this from Job. Uh, let's, let's do the latter part first. What do we deserve? Biblically, what do we deserve from God? Nothing. 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 If God gave us exactly what we deserved what trial would we have for all eternity? We'd be in hell. Okay, so number one, God doesn't owe me only good stuff. That's one thought to keep in mind. But beyond that, I need to remember who I am. Do you remember when Job is saying, Lord, 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 why is this happening? I've been faithful to you, and why is it happening? I've done this, why is it happening? you made my breath to be abhorrent even to my wife, and he's Talking about his struggles, and the only friends I have hanging around me are these three guys, and they are not much help. They're beating me up. Lord, why? And at the end of the entire book, what does God say to him? Where where were you when I created the world? What have you done to keep everything in place? You know, I control nature, I control the animals, I control even the greatest of all, the giants of animals. And he talks about what we would call probably the brontosaurus. He talks about them and how he is. So, And the point is, God is above us. God is, knows what's best. And God always does good. God always does good. He is a righteous, holy God. He never does us evil to our harm. He does what is needed for our good. So we need to remember that who we are and what we deserve. Look to the future. When Jesus is with the disciples and he is saying, I am leaving, twice in the chapter he says, let not your heart be troubled, torn apart. He says that. And look, at the, look at the bookends of it. And then look at everything in between in chapter 14 through 16. But he says, let not your heart be troubled. And then the first thing that he mentions, let not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. What's the first thing he tells them to look for? In my Father's house are many mansions. And I'll go, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Okay. So what he does in the middle of their turmoil is says, you got to look to the future. you got to look to the future, which says to you and me, these trials are only, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to pass. They're going to pass. They feel like a lifetime right now. They feel like the toothache in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night when you have a toothache, how long does the night go? Forever, okay. And so that's the way the trial is. And yet he's saying, wait a minute, you have to look to what's ahead. You look to the promises ahead. Look to how it's going to, be, it's going to be good, it's going to be better. In fact, there's going to be commendation, rewards, there's going to be reunion. Especially when we talk about loss of loved ones. What greater hope does it give you than that loved one is with the Lord and eventually you're going to be there with them? The hope that is within us. Wow. It's an amazing thought. So he gives us all these practical areas to help in the middle of trials. And so we look at it and say, okay, I don't know why the trial is happening, but I need to respond right so that whatever God is doing, God can improve and work in my life. We're not going to start this one. Oh, that's a tough one. Okay, especially in modern society, is there a lot of challenges to the normal one-on-one marriage? Yes, and it's growing. We'll talk about it next week. Okay, thanks for listening.